Hey, Laura. It's Rachel. Oh, how's it going? Not too bad. I was calling to see if you got the invite to go to my church. Oh, oh yeah, the invite? Um, yeah, I was just going through the trash, I mean the mail right now, I have it right here. Oh, you sent this to me? How thoughtful. Yeah, I haven't seen you since Kirsten's baby shower. Oh yeah, Kirsten's baby shower. She's such an incredible mother. Yeah, well, do you wanna go to church together? I'll take you to lunch afterwards. It'll be my treat. Um, I got this thing going on. I have some chores to do. I have to go to Walmart. Have you been to Walmart on a Sunday afternoon? Trust me, I'm doing you a favor. And everyone has to eat, so. I don't know. Come on, it'll be fun. Just like old times. But I don't have any nice clothes to wear. Casual is fine. We just prefer clothes. You've run out of excuses. Just say yes already. Fine, I'll go. Great! The address is right on the invite card. I'll save you a seat. It'll be great. Yeah, like a tooth being pulled. I'm sorry, what did you say? I said absolutely, absolutely. Okay, great. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, just follow the signs and I'll save you a seat on the front row. The front row? We'll have the best view in the house. Great idea for a journey concert, a bad idea for church service. Oh, it won't be that bad. Okay, sounds good. Okay, great. I'll see you Sunday. Bye. Bye. What have I got myself into? The first snake I see, I'm out of there. And you better believe I'm gonna get the most expensive thing on that menu at Outback. Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? Quintessential quote from that whole video yeah, is this thing about casual is okay, we prefer clothes. So that's, that's the kind of church we are. We prefer you put clothes on before you come. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Good to see you guys. Before we get into message time, let me just emphasize something. Friday night, night of worship right here in the house. All of our locations are coming together for a powerful night of worship. I hope you'll come, be a part of that. Uh, the kids up to fourth, four years old, we've got something for them. But bring your kids to be a part of that. Let them engage with you in worship. It's going to be a powerful time of, of singing together. We're going to have ministry time in the altars for, for people that have special needs and just want to pray together. So it's just going to be a great time. I hope you'll be here Friday night. And let's, and let's kind of end our summer with a bang and set up the fall uh, in, in, a, in an attitude of praise. Okay, so Friday night. Got it? Kicking it off a new series this morning, we're calling The Journey of Life and kind of subtitled, Fully Devoted to Become Fully Mature. Fully Devoted to Become Fully Mature. And what we're going to be doing for the next six weeks is we're going to be talking about this journey that's a part of following Jesus Christ. We're going to be talking about the journey of establishing that relationship by being a fully devoted follower of Christ and then ultimately growing to the maturity that he calls us to. We're also going to get to know Laura and Rachel a lot better week by week throughout the series. We're actually going to watch Laura as she goes through the stages of maturity and you're going to watch her develop as we go and as we explain to you the stages of maturity in this journey today of life. So today, all I really want to do is kind of set up the series. All I want to do is kind of get our wheels turning, get us thinking about this idea of growing to full maturity in Jesus Christ. And I want to do that by introducing the stages of maturity to you, just a real quick kind of description of those stages. But first, I want to make sure we know the difference between 
being fully devoted follower of Christ and being a fully mature follower of Christ. Two very different things. I want to make sure that we understand what those differences are. So let's jump into it and then we'll introduce the stages and we'll let you go, okay? Aren't you glad you came to church today? I told you where we're going and we just trust God's going to do some cool stuff. So let's get into it. If you look up devoted in the dictionary, you're going to get a definition kind of like zealous attachment or, or attraction. That's those kind of definitions you get. But the Bible actually goes deeper than that when it talks about devotion. In fact, my favorite passage on the subject of devotion, and it's my life verse. I've referred to this verse over and over and over again uh, throughout my life. Is Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 that goes something like this. It's on the screens. Here we go. Let's read it together. One, two, three, go. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So get the imagery in your mind. It's like God is scanning the planet, and he's scanning for what? Hearts that are fully committed to him, and when he sees one of those hearts, what does he do with them? Oh, I'm going to show some strength to them. I'm going to pour some power through them. I'm going to help them with whatever life is throwing at them these days. He's looking for fully committed hearts. If you look in some of the other translations and paraphrases, you'll see words like uh, the Amplify says blameless. King James says perfect, which is confusing to some people. But what we're talking about is the Hebrew word shalem. And shalem, it's kind of a derivative of shalom. How many of you heard the word shalom before? So if a Jewish person says shalom to you, you understand what they're saying? They're saying, I wish you wholeness. I wish you completeness. Shalom is one of those words that means I want you to be at peace physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. And so it's the, it's the sweetest thing a Jewish person could ever say to you is shalom because it's a lot more than hello. It's I wish you wholeness. And so this word is kind of derivative of that that says, I'm all in. I am fully committed. That, that idea of devotion means that I am a follower of Jesus Christ and I ain't holding nothing back. That's the formal definition of it. I think you get the picture from it. But what's the difference between then being fully devoted and fully mature? Is there a difference? Maturity is defined this way. Maturity is defined as being at the appropriate level of development for the current stage of life that you're in, being at the stage of development that you should be in for the stage of life that you are in. Is there a difference between an adult and a mature adult? I mean, don't look at them, but we all know some immature adults, right? Some people, they just, dude, it's time to grow up. I mean, there's a difference between being uh, an adult and a fully mature adult. There are things that you expect an adult to have matured into that you wouldn't expect from a six-year-old. And so stages of development have to do with current stages of life, and we're going to unpack that. Let's see what the Bible says. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, 12, and 13. I like the way the, the, uh, the contemporary English version uh, kind of paraphrases it. So let's look at it that way, okay? Christ chose some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Some translations say he chose leaders and defined those leaders for a purpose. And so what is the purpose? You see that, that, that phrase, so that? That means that he did those things in order that something would happen. Are you tracking with me? Do your heads like this? Tracking with me? Okay. So that what? So that people would learn to serve. You didn't think I was going to do all the talking, did you? Come on. Learn to serve, and his body would grow strong. This will continue until we are united both in our faith and our understanding our faith being I believe who God is, our understanding is I'm beginning to know who he is, 
And so what's going to be the result of that? See the word then? Then, so he gave leaders, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, so that we, these things would happen. And when those things happen, then what happens? What's the result of that? Then we will be mature just as Christ is, and we will be completely like him. So anybody already arrived at being completely like him? Ask your wife. She'll tell you. <laughs> Ain't none of us there. Can I get an amen in the house? Which says to me that my job as your pastor, my job is what? What does it say? My job is to teach you to serve. My job is to help you get strong. My job is to make sure that we are linking arms and serving arm in arm so that we as a family are strong because the church is only as strong as the commitments of the people who make it up. You tracking with me? Okay, that's my job. And ultimately my job is to help you come to faith in Christ and then an understanding of what that life looks like in order that you will become completely like Jesus. And since none of us has arrived, that sounds like job security to me. <laughs> I'm kind of like the funeral director. There's always one more, right? There's always room to grow toward maturity, and that's my job. And so hear me, guys. I, I did this on purpose. I'm just seeking the Lord in what he really wanted us to do with what we have left of our summertime, knowing that it is the faithful who make it a point to either be here or even if they're on vacation, you'll watch online. I really wanted to lean into the church family for a few weeks as we finish up our summer because I think this may be a pivot point for some of you in your journey with the Lord and perhaps a historic pivot point in the life of our church is we ask ourselves the question, what does it mean to be a fully devoted follower of Christ and where am I and where am I in this journey to become a fully mature follower of Christ? You see, the Christian life is a lot like getting married. There's a point at which you say, I do, and use married, right? And then there is a journey to mature in that relationship until you get to intimacy. So again, two things I want to do today is I want to make sure you understand what fully devoted looks like, and then I want to introduce the stages, and week by week throughout this series, we'll unpack one stage at a time. We'll watch Laura in her journey uh, of, of growing through those stages, and then at the end of the series, I've got a spiritual maturity, Christian maturity assessment tool that I'm going to put in your hands that will help you to assess where you are in your spiritual journey and help you to set some goals to grow toward that, I believe it can be life-changing if we really take this thing seriously and get into it, okay? So, fully devoted, fully mature, let's get into it. I think there are three main qualifiers to being a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Three things, I think, are, are qualifiers or identifiers that you are, in fact, a fully devoted follower. Identifier number one is that fully devoted followers of Christ have been reborn. They have been reborn. So let me explain that one. While Jesus was here on earth, it was a common practice for him to go among the people and teach and do miracles. And people would come to him and ask him all kinds of questions. One night during that time, a well-known theologian and teacher, it was a Pharisee, the legalist of the day, came to him uh, and asked him a very pointed question. He said to him, uh, I see what's going on. I see your miracles. I, I can tell that you're from God, 
So I want you to teach me something. Just teach me something I don't know. I can tell you're from God. Now, now lean into this. I need you to understand who, who Nicodemus is. Nicodemus was, again, legalist of the day. Nicodemus' life was characterized by teaching people, if you want to get to heaven, work hard, keep the rules, work harder, keep the rules, work harder, and if you do enough, maybe you'll squeak in. That's his whole life. That's what he's teaching to everybody. So then he's standing in front of Jesus and saying, I can tell you from God, teach me something. Jesus cuts right to the heart of the matter, and here's what he says to him. In John 3, 3, he said, I tell you the truth, unless one is born again, he cannot be in God's kingdom. You talk about freaking somebody out. Nicodemus has spent his whole life teaching something completely opposite from that, and now suddenly he's being torn, told something that he can't quite wrap his brain around. How, how is that even possible that an old guy can get born again? And Jesus explains it in verse 6 and 7. A person's body is born from his human parents, but a person's spiritual life is born from the Spirit. Don't be surprised, Jesus said, when I tell you you must all be born Again, in other words, you have to be physically born in order to be one of your parents' children. You have to be spiritually born in order to be God's children. So let me be clear about what Jesus is saying. You, we are all part of God's creation. We were created by him, but you're not automatically one of his children until you choose to become one of his children. So you're physically born, and then you are spiritually born. Ephesians chapter 2 says, we were dead in our own trespasses and sins. We had no life. Our spirit was dead. It was dark. In fact, Paul describes it as being a dead fish in a river being pulled around by the currents of the river. And then something happened, but God, he says, comes on the scene, and our spirit comes alive. And something new happens. Something changes in our hearts. Something changes in our minds. Our spirit has now come back to life. So here's Jesus talking to this legalist who spent his whole life saying it's about what you do. It's about doing enough. And now he's being told it's not about what you do. It's about who you know and who you trust, it had to blow his mind. We don't even know, frankly, what happened that night. We, we don't know the end of that conversation. The Bible doesn't tell us. But here's what it does tell us. By the time we get to John 19, uh, it is Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus that prepares his body for burial. So somewhere along the way, Nicodemus discovers the truth that it's not about human effort. It's about what Jesus did for me. So hear me, guys. When Jesus says you must be born again, here's what he's saying. This thing called Christianity is not about turning over a new leaf. It's not about adopting a new philosophy. It's not about having a different way of kind of approaching life. It's about your spirit was dead and then it came alive. It's about you were blind and now you see. It's about something happened that only God can do and it comes on the other side of you deciding to put your trust in Jesus Christ. Now, as your pastor, it's critical for me that I be as clear about this as I know how. I, it's just got to be, it's so important to me that when you stand before God and he asks you the 
ultimate, eternal question, why should I let you, an imperfect being, into the perfect place I've created and mess it up? (laughs) That you know the answer to that question. My whole life is driven by making sure that as many people as possible know the answer to that question. And let me tell you now that if you've got a speech prepared for that moment that has something to do with, well, you know, Jesus, I did some, I did some bad stuff, but I did some good stuff, and I think I did more good stuff than bad stuff. If you think somehow that your speech is going to be something like, well, you know, I went to the coolest church in town. I was part of the bridge, and I served. <laughs> I tithed. I took the ownership class. You know, I did all that stuff. If you think your answer is I laughed at Jim's stupid jokes, well, that one might give you some credits. But <laughs> see, that was good. You laughed at everything. If you think that speech is going to get you there, let me just warn you now. I've been crying about this all week as I envisioned it in my own life. When you stand before the creator, holy God of the universe and the blazing brilliance of his holiness cuts to the heart of who you are, those speeches will get stuck in your throat. you will know in that moment that the only answer is, you're right, I don't deserve to come in. But your son, Jesus, said he put my name in the book, and I trust that he made a reservation for me, and I trust that if you look in the book, you'll see my name written in his blood, And that you won't see me in all of my imperfections. You'll see him in his perfection. And you'll let me in. The end of the day, guys, when we stand before God on the final day, please, I beg you, it is not about what you've done or not done. It's about who you are, whose you are, who you've put your trust in. So i got to ask before we move on, Um, you don't have to answer me, just sit real still, but maybe you're online, you're sitting in the living room right now, but but, I've got to ask, have you had that experience yet? So I've dealt with people across the ages that that if I ask you, uh, you know, are you you saved? Are you going to heaven? Well, yeah, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, good, but but have you put your trust in him? Well, yeah, I believe Jesus is died for me? Oh, okay, that's not what I asked you. I said, did you put your trust? Do you have a relationship with him? Have you established, have you staked your hopes on that relationship with him? Well, yeah, I believe he's the son of God. I believe he died for my sins. Yeah, that's not what I ask you. I'm not asking you what's in your head. I'm asking you, have you established a relationship? Have you received the grace of God and let it wash over you and change who you are so that your spirit was dead and then it came alive. And if you haven't, then I beg you before the next minute passes that you'll say, Jesus, I want to put my trust in you. And I'll tell you now, if you're wondering if you've had that experience, I can give you a couple of practical kind of evidences that you have just right quick, and then we'll move on. If you've had that experience, if you've established that relationship, here's what I've discovered is that people who have had it want to talk about him. They just want to, I'm not talking about standing on the street corner on a soapbox saying, turn or burn, die and fry while we go to the sky. That's not what I'm talking about. 
But you know, just normal, like I would say, hi, let me introduce you to my wife, Kim. I would say, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's my best friend. You know, I would just, I have a relationship. This is who I was, and then I met Jesus, and everything changed, and this is who I'm becoming. There's just this natural part of talking about him. And if you find yourself struggling to talk about him, then you may need to go back to this starting point. And ask yourself if you've actually been born again with your spirit alive at this point. The second thing I see in people who have been born again is that they watch their lives begin to change. It's not, Christianity is not about a list of do's and don'ts, but change happens as you begin to focus on the person of Jesus Christ. You see, it's not an event, it's a journey. It's an adventure is what it is, and it begins with a commitment and then grows over time into maturity. Just like we mature physically through stages, uh, we mature in our relationship with Christ. In fact, let me, let me teach you a little side note here that, that it may apply in a whole number of areas of your life. I'll just kind of put this in and you can do what you want to with it. But, but here it goes something like this. I read this many years ago and I found it to be true. We ultimately resemble who we rehearse. We eventually resemble who we rehearse. Think about it for a minute. Any of you parents? Any parents in the house? How many of you parents? You don't have to respond, but how many of you parents have had the experience already where you remember as a child your mom or your dad said something and you said, when I'm grown up and I have kids, I'm never going to say that to my kids. And now you found yourself talking to your kids and your mama's voice is coming out of your mouth. And you're going, ah, how did I get here? You resemble what you rehearse. Now, there's some huge implications. I don't have time to teach today. We'll come back to this one in time. But if you're continuing to rehearse someone who hurt you, you understand the implications of that? You will begin to resemble who you're rehearsing. On the bright side, on the positive side, if you're focusing on Jesus, you'll start looking more like him. You're focused on who he is. If you're rehearsing who he is in your life, you'll begin to see changes take place in your life. I, and again, I'm not just talking about took the ownership class, got baptized, I'm tithing, I'm serving. Those are all good things. But those don't create the relationship. They're just evidence that the relationship exists. At the end of the day, it's about attitude, it's about heart, it's about character, it's about who we're becoming more like his name is Jesus Christ. So if you want to know if you're a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, the first qualifier is to ask yourself, have I been born again? Was there that step across the line of faith when I was dead but now I'm alive, I was blind but now I see? The second qualifier to this whole idea of being a fully devoted follower is that I've settled the authority issue. I've kind of settled it, who's in charge. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 from the NIV. Read it with me. One, two, three, go. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is what? Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what happens? You will be saved. I know you don't use the word Lord the word Lord, easy for you to say, word Lord. You know, we're talking about lords and ladies these days too much, but you know what the word means, right? We're talking about CEO, 
We're talking about the big kahuna. We're talking about the boss. We're talking about the final authority. And so if you're a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, according to Scripture, not only have you been born again, but you've settled that he is, he is the Lord of my life. There's a story from Jesus' life that, that illustrates this principle uh, beautifully. It's found in Matthew chapter 8. Let me just tell you a little bit about it. We'll read one passage. Uh, Jesus is out traveling again, and just as I said a moment ago, people were coming to him, asking him questions all the time. And on this particular occasion, a Roman soldier, a high-ranking uh, officer, comes walking up to him and says, uh, Sir, uh, i got a pretty good idea who you are. I've seen uh, and heard, and so I know who you are. I've got a servant back home that I really care about, and he's sick, and I've come to ask you if you would heal him. And Jesus said, yeah, I will. In fact, lead the way. I'll follow you to your house, and I'll take care of it. And this, and this Roman officer said, um, you know what? I'm not worthy to have you in my house. Uh, so i tell you what. Um, I know who you are. Just say the word. You don't have to come to my house. You just, just say the word. You've got the authority to just say the word. Pick up the story in Matthew 8, 9, and 10. I myself, he said, am a man under the authority of other men, and I have soldiers under my command. I tell one soldier, go, and he goes. I tell another soldier, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and my servant obeys me. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. He said to those who were with him, I tell you the truth, this man, this blows me away when you think about it, this man has more faith than any other person I've found even in Israel. Now understand, he's turned from the Roman officer and turned to his own disciples and said, guys, he's got more faith than you do. And what was the evidence of that faith? He understood the authority that Jesus brings. He understood the authority that Jesus had. Here's the principle. You can't have fellowship with the supreme being apart from total submission to him. Let me say it again. You can't have fellowship with the supreme being without total submission to him. Let me explain why that's so important. Many of you were old enough that you remember the days, and they still exist. There's a remnant that still exists, but, but the days when uh, it, it, the common denominator in churches was legalism, rules, guilt. I've talked to Baptists and Pentecostals and Catholics and Episcopalians, and you're just down the line, and they would tell you their story as, ch as children is that guilt was the thing that they used to get you to do what they wanted you to do. And, and people began to rebel against that. They began to say, wait a minute, I, I don't want to live in that kind of a straitjacket. I don't want in that bondage. Now, here's what happened. The church as a whole then began to shift their focus uh, from that extreme to another. How many of you know pendulums don't swing from one extreme to balance? They, they go from one extreme to the other. And so the church as a whole tended to move from that extreme of legalism and guilt-based stuff to grace and the love of God, and he loves you so much, and me and Jesus are friends, and isn't it wonderful, kumbaya. I need you to understand something. He loves you. He wants to be closer than a brother to you. But at the end of the day, he's God 
and you are not. At the end of the day, he spoke and the world came into existence. And because of that, it's his house. He gets to make the rules. And if you want to be in relationship with him, you have to do it on his terms, not yours. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I deal with people all the time. If I ask you if you're a Christian, you would say yes. But when I say something like that, it rocks you to the core of your being. Whoa, wait a minute. That, that sounds hard. That sounds harsh. Are, are you serious? Well, you know why it's so hard? Because it forces us to ask the question, what is the final authority in my life? I mean, who, who is the final authority in my life? Is it, is it some teachers that I've had in the past? Is it a college professor? Is it, is, is it some pastor somewhere? Is it uh, the culture? Is it my peers? Is it me? What's the final authority in my life? And if you say that any one of those things or any one of those people is the final authority in your life, then my question to you is, well, then where do you go when you have a question that you don't have answers to? And they don't either. Where do you go when you have a need that you can't meet and they can't either? All I'm saying to you is, yes, there is a submission to the supreme being, but you ought not to chafe at that because he has both answers and power to do something about what's going on in your life. You can trust that he's worthy of your worship and he's worthy of submitting to you. And, and because he loves you so much, you don't have to worry about submitting to him because life is going to be better because you did. But that strength, 2 Chronicles 16, 9, that strength is on the other side of full devotion to him. And I don't, I don't mind telling you that I decided that a long time ago. Kim and I decided that together a long time ago. You are the commander-in-chief, sir. You, you give the orders, and I will obey. I won't fight it. I won't struggle with it. I won't push against it. I'm just listening for your voice, and when I hear it, I will do what you told me to do. I made that decision many years ago. Kim did too. We made it willingly. We made it joyfully, and whatever we have and whatever we've accomplished and wherever we've been is because of that decision. Everything else has flown out of that decision, and so I've got to ask you before we move on, not just did you get a fresh start, but have you surrendered to Jesus as Lord yet? Have you said, God, you're in charge? I mean, there's a test for that too. If you really want to know if Jesus is Lord of your life, um, ask yourself the question, if he came to your house to visit today, would you have to clean anything up? I mean, I, if you invited me over to your house and I could work it out on my schedule to come, you'd probably dust a little bit. Our rule is don't move anything on the dresser. You, you can't tell the dust unless you move something. But, you know, you'd probably dust a little bit. Uh, you've done that too, right? And, uh, you know, you, you might clean up a little bit. But if Jesus came to visit, would you have to clean anything? Would you have to clean your magazine rack? Or maybe your Netflix recently viewed list? If he visited your work, would you have to hide some of your relationships there or maybe the way you do business? I mean, those are tests to ask if, in fact, Jesus is the final authority in your life. And am I saying that fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ are perfect? Oh, heavens, no. <laughs> we mess up all the time. 
I'm just saying that we keep short accounts with him because he's the one in charge, which is why David prayed that prayer in Psalm 139, 22, 23, and 4. Look deep in my heart, O God, and find everything I'm thinking. Don't let me follow evil ways, but lead me in the way that time has proven true. God, turn your searchlight on me, and if there's something that's a blind spot to me, show it to me because I don't want it. Why? Because fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ have been reborn, and they have settled the authority issue which brings us to the third qualifier, and that is fully devoted followers of Christ are committed to growing to full maturity. Now, I dare say in a room like this, on a day like this, I'm talking to a lot of people who would have, if I'd asked you what are the qualifiers for fully devoted, you would have said number one and number two without hesitation. Sure, yeah, born again, Jesus is Lord, got it, yeah. You've been taught that for years, you settled that a long time ago, But i got to be honest with you, I deal with an awful lot of long-term Christians over the years who struggle with this third one. They're kind of like the nurse that applied for a job, and on her resume she said uh, that she had 20 years of experience, and so they hired her, and very soon after she went to work, they discovered that she had not kept up with technology, she had not kept up with current techniques, and she had not kept up with her training. And the result was she was way behind the curve and not really able to provide the level of care that their nurses needed to provide, and so they fired her. And, and she challenged them. She came back and said, why did you fire me? And they said, because you lied on your resume. No, I didn't. Where did I lie on my resume? Well, you said you had 20 years of experience, and you obviously don't. She said, yes, I do. I can show you all the places that I've worked through these 20 years. I've got 20 years of experience. And the administrator said, all due respect, ma'am, you may have been a nurse for 20 years, but you clearly don't have 20 years of experience. You have one year of experience that you have repeated 20 times. It's not the same thing. Quite frankly, there are an awful lot of Christians who came to Jesus a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and they would say, yeah, I've been a believer for 30 years. My question is, how are you different today than you were 30 years ago? How are you growing? Where is he challenging your viewpoints, and and what are you doing to address those issues? Show me how you are maturing over those years because that's the goal until we are, what did the Bible say, Romans or Ephesians 4? Until we are completely like him. NLT says until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. So remember the definition. I'm going to bring this in, but, but uh, you remember the definition of maturity? The definition to be an appropriate level of development for the current stage of life. What we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is we're going to be talking about those stages. Here's the good news. The Bible makes it clear that there are are five major stages in the maturing process. Let me walk through them right quick, uh, and and you'll understand them, okay? And it's very much like developmental markers in the human equation. Uh, you know, as a human being, you don't expect a mature six-year-old to act like a 16-year-old, right? But you don't expect a 16-year-old to act like a 
six-year-old. There's maturity that, can, that, that kind of develops over time. In fact, I, just out of curiosity, went to WebMD this week. Miracle Stevens helped me kind of do this research. And, and, and I discovered, for instance, kind of natural, uh, normal markers. Everybody's different. But normal markers are you would expect a one-year-old baby to be able to get into a sitting position alone, uh, to be able to pick up and stand, maybe with support, walking around the coffee table or something, uh, and to begin to pick up food. And in my experience, pick up food to throw food and pick up food to throw food and pick up food. But, you know, they can do that by the time they're one. By the time they're three or four years, years old, you would expect them to be able to recognize familiar colors, to, to remember parts of the story that you've been reading to them, to walk up and down stairs, maybe to use the potty. I mean, those are things that you expect uh, somebody by the time they get to three to be able to do those things. I remember one time I was, uh, I was at a, a, a church member's house, and uh, this lady kept uh, uh, children. She had a daycare in her home. And another member from the church stopped by while I was there uh, to pick up her uh, two-year-old. And so they had, the, had her potty chair, you know, and set it down, and the three of us are standing there talking. The, the, the child care provider and the mom and me are standing there talking while the two-year-old is standing there waiting for us to talk. Well, at one point, she sat down in the potty chair. She didn't pull her panties down. She didn't make sure the pot was in the chair. She just sat down in the chair and went. Threw her pants onto the carpet, and we realized what's going on. And she got up and looked at us and said, good girl. <laughs> and what do we do? We said, yeah, good girl. I mean, we're not going to explain to her, oh, by the way, there's some details here. We were excited that she was thinking that way. Why? Because that's what you expect a three-year-old to begin to think that way. Eventually, you're going to teach her to, you know, prep before you sit down and make sure the pot's there. But is this making sense? Well, the same thing's true in the spirit. There's some things, if you're in your first year following Christ, there's some things that nobody expects you to do or know. But by the time you've been serving the Lord for a season, a few years, there's some demonstrated growth. So let me just quickly walk you through the five stages. We're going we're gonna to go it in detail uh, throughout the series, but let me just to get your wheels turning about where you think you might be, let's go through it. First stage is actually a pre-stage. I call it the seeker stage. And every believer, every follower of Christ was at the seeker stage at one point. Jesus said, if you seek, you will find. And that's the point at which we come to recognize that there's got to be more to life than get up, go to work, pay the bills, retire, and die. There's got to be more to life than this. Or maybe we come to that point in our lives where we recognize there's a, there's a spiritual hole in our soul that needs to be filled. Whatever it is and however long it takes, for some it's a traumatic experience, for some it's months and years of searching, whatever the reason, you're seeking answers. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who do what? Earnestly seek him. The key word is earnestly. We're going to unpack that word in great detail next week. You want to come and hear what that means, earnestly seek Him, because those are the ones who get the reward of finding Him. So let me just ask you a quick question. Those of you who are part of the church family, uh, bridge owners, is this a safe place for seekers? It is, isn't it? I mean, we love the dangerous kinds of questions that seekers ask, and I don't mean to be critical, but I've been in church settings where if somebody asks a question like, uh, why should I trust the Bible? Isn't it just a book that, that some men wrote? If you ask a question like that, they would go, 
you know, here we go, oh, man, I'd love to talk to you about that, right? Somebody says, you know, if God is so good, then why do bad things happen to good people? Some places you go, they go, ah. We go, hey, man, let's talk about that. Let's understand that. We love seekers in this house. And if you're a seeker, you're not even sure you have a relationship with Jesus and some of the stuff I've talked to you about today has challenged your thinking, then welcome. We are glad you're here. We're thrilled that you're here. Eventually, we hope you get to stage two, which we call the infant stage. And that's the stage where the person says, I want a relationship with Jesus. I need a relationship with Jesus, and I want to be born again. I want to establish uh, on the other side from death to life, from blindness to sight. And again, this is a place where we love baby Christians. We love Christians who are just starting in the journey. And yes, in the natural, babies can be loud and messy and exhausting and all that stuff, but they represent potential and they represent new life and they represent excitement. And so we're thrilled about baby Christians in this house, but we don't want you to stay there. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, when someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. Now you've got a foundation to begin building on. Stage three is what I call the teen stage. In human terms, what's a mature teenager like? Be nice. Mature teenager is coming to that place in his or her life where, you know, they, they can begin to take charge of some things on their own. You know, if they're hungry, they can make a sandwich, okay? <laughs> if they're cold, they can get in out of the cold, maybe, we hope, you know. They still need a lot of guidance. They still need a lot of direction, but they can begin to be trusted with some responsibility. In the spiritual journey, then, a, a teen believers are the ones who are beginning to to think through the lens of what does the Bible say before they make a decision. They're, they're the ones who are beginning to understand that, that my life is defined by the gifts and talents and abilities that God gave me. And I'm not supposed to be consuming all of that. I'm supposed to be giving it back. So I need to discover what is my niche in the body of Christ. Teenagers are the ones who are beginning to discover the strongholds that, that have held them back and beginning to see some of those broken in their lives. Romans 12, 3 says it this way, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment and according to the measure of faith God has given you. So teenagers are starting that journey of who am I in Christ and what does it mean to live a Christian life and to live in community with other Christians? Stage four is the adult stage, and, and if you talk about adults in the natural, what are we talking about? We're talking about people that are uh, they're the, 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 the people who are, can have the responsibilities in society. Again, some people define adults as people who have stopped growing this way and have started growing this way. <laughs> hopefully, you know, that was certainly the case for me for a lot of years, but uh, hopefully there's more to it than that. They're the people that are the productive in society. They found their niche. They know what they're doing. They're, they're bringing something to society and to the table. In spiritual terms, it's the same way. Ephesians 4.15, instead speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up in him who is the head that is Christ. And so the adult believers have a healthy relationship with Christ. They're submitted to his authority. The major strongholds in their lives are broken. And now they've found their niche and they are serving in the body of Christ. Thank God for the adults in the house because they are, in fact, in many ways, the backbone of this church. But there's another stage, and that's what I call the parent stage. Romans 15, 1, we who are strong in faith should help those who are weak. 
We should help them with their weaknesses and not please only ourselves. So what's the difference between an adult and a parent? Hopefully the parents are adults. We don't want babies birthing babies. Can I get an amen in the house? But the parents are, are, the, are differentiated from the adults in that they've crossed the line to where it's more important to them how the seekers, infants, and teens are doing than it is how they're doing. Every parent in the natural knows exactly what I'm talking about. You come to that place where you care more about how your kids are doing than how you're doing. You will sacrifice something for yourself in order to make sure your kid's okay. And when your kid's doing something uh, that makes you proud, you are far more proud than if you had an accomplishment yourself. And every parent in the room said, I see heads nodding all over the place. Well, that's true in the spiritual too. And can I just tell you, we'll dig into this in detail that Sunday, but can I tell you that the greatest dearth in the American church is spiritual mamas and daddies who view their Christian experience through the lens of not what's in it for me or what do I need, but they view their Christian experience about who am I pouring into, who am I mentoring, who am I helping along. That's what parents do. We're going to unpack this in detail throughout this series, and I started out by saying I hope I didn't overstate or over-dramatize, but it may be a pivot point series of sermons in your life. I believe it could be a historic pivot point in the history of our church if we'll lean into these topics. I've already told the team I want this series when we're done uploaded to Right Now Media. We'll have small groups in the days ahead using this series as training in their small groups because this is going to be so critical for us to understand where am I in my spiritual journey? Have I crossed the line to fully devoted? And where am I in maturity? And where, what, what are my goals? How am I going to help get to that next level? I hope, I pray that you'll invest the next five or six weeks. If you're squeezing in one more vacation before the fall of the year, fine. Just go online or go to the website during the week. But let's get these messages. Let's lean into these teachings. I believe it can be huge for us. Right now, I just simply want us to pray. Will you join me in that prayer? Father, I thank you that you've laid it out very clearly for us in Scripture. Uh, what it means to be devoted to you and what it means to mature in you. Now I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be our teacher over these next few weeks as we ask ourselves honest questions about devotion and maturity. Lord, I pray that this would be a very practical application of the Word of God in our lives. And I pray that every one of us would take a step forward in devotion and maturity because of it. Put us on a journey to complete maturity in you. And we'll thank you for the way you do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you bow your heads just for another second and pray a simple prayer with me? Along the lines of what we've been talking about, real simple prayer. The first part of the prayer is about devotion. The second part's about maturity. So you decide if you're going to pray both or one, but pray with me. Let's start with devotion. Jesus, I want to be fully devoted to you. When you scan the earth looking for hearts that are completely devoted to you, I want you to see me. I need your strength. I need your help. But at the end of the day, I just want a relationship with you. 
So forgive me for being devoted to things that don't eternally matter. And hear my heart when I say I want to be completely devoted to you. Father, you know who's praying. Help them to know that you've heard their prayer. You see their hearts. For the rest of us, Lord, you know where we are in our maturity in you. We're in the seeker stage, the infant stage, the teenage, adolescent stage, the adult stage, the parenting stage. You know where we are in this journey. Would you show us? Would you give us a glimpse of what you see in us beyond devotion, the maturity level that you see? And help us to to ask ourselves honest questions about it, measuring ourselves against the only standard that matters, the Word of God, the Bible. We thank you in advance for the maturity that comes because of it and the fruit that comes for our lives and for the kingdom of God because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Thank you so much for being at the bridge this morning. I do pray that this is a meaningful series. I do hope that you'll lean into it. I hope you'll be here Friday night for a night of worship. Let's worship the Lord together. Father, take us from this place. Keep us safe. Gather us together at the appointed time. We'll thank you for it all in Jesus' name. The altars are open. There's people here who would love to pray with you today. Do not leave this place without being sure you've established your relationship with Jesus Christ. God bless you.